0: The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Good morning, it's so great to be here. I spoke with a woman recently, and I'm going to call her Susan. Susan and two of her friends had planned a getaway trip for the weekend. But a week before the trip, another friend of Susan's Susan's named Jane was in crisis and needed a place to stay. Jane asked Susan if she could stay with her. Susan said yes. And as the weekend approached, Susan explained to Jane, Hey, I've got this trip planned this weekend with two other friends. Why don't you join us? But Jane declined, saying she was just dealing with too much to go on vacation. Susan thought about it and determined Jane not only needed a place to stay, she also needed the presence of a friend and someone to help her work through crisis. So Susan decided to stay with Jane for the weekend, and she told her friends, her other two friends, she wasn't going to be able to make the vacation. It's a true story. I've changed the names. Susan had the right to take this vacation with her two friends. She had planned it. She earned the money for it. She arranged her schedule around it. But even though she had the right to take this trip, she gave up her right because she believed that was the best way to love her friend in crisis. Susan yielded her right in the name of love. We've seen this principle of, of yielding our rights to others previously in this letter to the Corinthians. The most recent example was last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 when Dave taught us that. The context in chapter 8 is some Christians were eating meat that had been sacrificed to pagan gods. And Paul, uh, apostle, explained on one hand, a pagan God is no God at all. Doesn't affect the meat, doesn't change the person eating the meat, and therefore, it's okay to eat the meat. But then he said, just because you have the right to eat the meat, doesn't mean it's always the best thing to do. He said, if eating the meat is going to cause one of my Christian brothers to sin or stumble, then I won't eat the meat. Why? Because I care about my brother, and I don't want him to stumble. They're In that way, Paul was saying, I will yield my rights. This morning, we come to chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, and Paul continues with the same principle of yielding his rights. Paul will model for us in this chapter this principle of yielding his rights for the sake of the gospel. We will see him give up his own right to financial compensation so the gospel will not be hindered. However, we're not going to see that topic come up until almost halfway through the chapter. In the beginning of chapter 9, Paul defends himself against allegations made by some of the Corinthians. And I found this section, you guys, more complicated than I would have liked. I much prefer things to be simple. During my preparation, I found myself almost finished with my presentation, and then God would reveal something else. And this happened over and over. So it's good that God kept revealing answers to me, but it makes it hard to finish a sermon. My hope this morning is to do justice to the scriptures. May God bless our study. And I'd like to pray and ask him to do that. Would you pray with me? Our Father, uh, thank you for the scriptures that you've given us. What a blessing. Um. When we walk away this morning, Father, we don't want to just be more informed or smarter. We want our hearts to be transformed. We want to be more like Jesus. So we ask that you would use your word to do that, Father. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Before we start verse 1, I want to draw your attention to verse 3 in chapter 9 because Verse 3 gives us the reason that Paul is writing this first section of verses. He says, This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. There were those in Corinth who were judging Paul. And as the chapter begins, Paul asks several rhetorical questions in response to those who are judging him. So let's start in verse 1, and we will unpack this as we go along. In verse 1, Paul says, Am I not free? And this is likely alluding to chapter 8, which we just finished, verse 9, where Paul says, the Corinthians have rights, such as the right to eat meat. And Paul is saying, I have rights also, I'm a free man. And he continues in verse 1, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus? Some of the people in Corinth were questioning whether Paul was a genuine apostle. The word apostle means a messenger, one who was sent. There are many scholars who say one of the requirements for being an apostle was you had to have seen the resurrected Jesus. Other scholars don't believe that. I have to confess, I was not successful in solving this centuries-old controversy. Nevertheless, The bedrock of Christianity has not been shaken. This is what we can say for sure about Paul's apostolic appointment. Paul had multiple personal encounters with the resurrected Jesus. And I do want to briefly review a passage that you might be familiar with, which is Acts chapter 9. You might recall in Acts chapter 9, Paul is journeying to Damascus to persecute Christians and throw them into prison when suddenly Jesus appears to him, blinds him with a bright light and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus ultimately tells Saul, who was later called Paul, go into the city of Damascus and meet a man there named Ananias. He will tell you what to do. Now, God also spoke separately to Ananias and said, go meet Paul. Ananias wasn't excited about that. But here's what he said to Ananias, Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, go, go meet Paul. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Now notice to whom Paul was to proclaim the name of Jesus to the Jews, the non-Jews, and to their kings. In other words, the entire world. Ananias did speak with Paul, and I'm summarizing. It says, Paul's sight was restored. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and Paul immediately got up and was baptized. Baptism baptism is important here because it's a public proclamation of faith in Jesus. Acts chapter 9 tells us Paul not only saw Jesus... He received a divine appointment to proclaim the name of Jesus to the entire world. So back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 1. He says, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? These questions are rhetorical because the answer is already known to Paul's audience. He's reminding them, I have indeed seen Jesus. And he gave me an assignment to proclaim his name to the world. And this substantiates... Paul's apostolic authority. In addition, Paul continued, continuing in verse 1, he says to the Corinthians, Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. The Greek word seal in verse 2 is sometimes translated signet. Today, if you want to authenticate that I signed a piece of paper, an expert could analyze my signature. You see the connection. My signature would prove I was the writer. But there were times throughout history, rather than a signature, to authenticate a document, the writer would seal the document with wax and then use a signet ring to make an impression in the wax. When someone saw that image made by the signet... The image would authenticate the source of the message. The signet or seal provided proof of authenticity. And Paul's saying to the Corinthians, the fact that you Corinthians are now Christians, believers in Jesus, that's proof of the authenticity of my apostleship. So then we come to verse 3 where Paul says, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. And the verses that follow reveal the nature of the Corinthians' criticisms. Let's talk for a minute about what was going on in Corinth. We know from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, there were false teachers, also called false apostles. They had come into the Corinthian church, and you can read about these false apostles in 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12. The false apostles in those chapters are referred to by Paul as super-apostles. They accused Paul of being inferior to themselves, among other reasons, because he proclaimed Jesus to them free of charge. They alleged that a true apostle would surely charge for their services. I have to show you a short passage from that section because the claim by these so-called super apostles is so outrageous, it warrants a look. And this is 2 Corinthians 11, verses 5 through 7. Paul writing to the Corinthians, he says, I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? So the reasoning of some of the Corinthians went like this. Paul didn't charge us for his preaching, therefore he must not be a legitimate apostle. And since he's not a legitimate apostle, he doesn't deserve to be paid. Twisted logic? I agree. Nevertheless, some of the Corinthians were being hoodwinked by these allegations. So in response to this convoluted thought process of the Corinthians, Paul begins to explain first that he does have a right to financial compensation for proclaiming the gospel. And later he will explain why he chose not to exercise that right. So back to 1 Corinthians 9, let's begin in verse 4. Paul says, Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? In framing these questions, Paul is drawing a comparison between the way the Corinthians treated him and the way they treated these other Christian leaders whom they had hosted, including Cephas, that is Peter, the other apostles, and the Lord's brothers, which is likely a reference to Jesus' half-brothers, Jude and James. Apparently, the Corinthians didn't hold back in providing financial support to these other Christian leaders and even their respective wives when they brought them to Corinth. And Paul is saying, I have a right to compensation just like they do. Now, starting in verse 7, Paul gives several examples that illustrate his right to compensation. Verse 7, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat the grapes? Who tends a flock and doesn't drink the milk? These examples are pretty self explanatory and make sense from a human perspective. And now listen to verse 8. Paul says, Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it's written in the law of Moses do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. Well, in an agrarian society like they were back then, after the grain stalks were harvested, the grain still needed to be threshed from the seed uh, to separate the seed from the plant. Oxen were driven back and forth over the harvested plant to separate the grain. And way back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25, God said, don't put a muzzle on the ox. He's doing the work of plowing and threshing. Therefore, he has a right to the fruits of his labor. So let him eat the grain. Then at the end of verse 9, Paul says, this illustration was with the ox is, is really for the benefit of us humans. So moving on to verse 11... If we have sown spiritual seed among you, Paul says, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? So the Corinthians had been compensating these other Christian leaders, Apollos, Peter, James, Jude, and others. But Paul was the one who planted the church. And he's the one who led his audience to faith in Jesus. So Paul says, shouldn't I have that right to financial compensation all the more? Now, Paul's not yet finished building this case he's trying to make, that those who preach the gospel have a right to be compensated. But he does pause here in the middle of verse 12 to remind them of his actions and how he acted regarding compensation. Paul says in the second half of verse 12, But we didn't use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Excuse me. We're going to fix this thing. We'll see if I fixed it. So this last statement of Paul, uh, we put up with anything rather than hindering the gospel, This might ring a bell if you've been studying with us the book of 1 Corinthians. When Dave first introduced us to this book, he told us the theme of the book is seeing life through the lens of the gospel. It is verses like this one that clarify Paul's priority. We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul's mission and ministry was to advance the gospel. And he wants his readers to see life through the lens of the gospel. Before we go any further, we're going to see this word gospel numerous times. So let's define it. There are many places in the Bible that discuss the gospel. John 3.16 is a good one. For God loved the world so much, he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And wrapped up in this one statement are these realities. All of humanity is sinners. A penalty must be paid for sin, and the penalty is eternal separation from God. But because God values us sinners so much and wants a relationship with us, he sent Jesus to die for my sins and your sins. And God made a declaration. He declared if we place our faith In Jesus, if we are willing to trust him as our Savior and our Lord, our sins are forgiven. Jesus takes our sins and gives us his righteousness. And this reconciles us with God for eternity. That's the gospel. And that's what Paul's going to reference at least seven times in this section. Before Paul finishes his argument, he's got one more piece of evidence he wants us to see from the Old Testament. Let's read it in verse 13. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar? This is from Leviticus chapter 6. The Mosaic law set up by God said the priests were supposed to eat the food brought for sacrifice. And then Paul concludes his argument on this topic in verse 14. In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. And that, friends, is point number one for us today. Those who preach the gospel have a right to be compensated. Last September, over a two-Sunday period, Dave taught us a series on the the Christian's financial responsibilities regarding giving to the church. We're not going to rehash all that today. But if you're new to Christianity or living in Christian community, giving to the church is the way the local church stays financially solvent. That said, until last September when Dave presented that teaching on giving, I had not heard one sermon on giving in the prior five years that I had attended neighborhood church. Our leadership intentionally keeps this topic of giving as a secondary priority. Many of you know at our services, we don't use the conventional church practice of passing a plate to collect donations. You've probably heard people up here say every week we don't want people to feel pressured to give. And even more important, we don't want the financial burden of the church to ever be an obstacle to someone placing faith in Jesus. Whether a person gives to the church or not has zero to do with trusting Christ for forgiveness of sins. So, why are we talking about it today in church? Because it's in the text. The first 14 verses of this chapter establish this biblical principle that those who preach the gospel have a right to be compensated. And if you've been coming here long, you might have noticed that most of the teaching we do here at Neighborhood Church is expositional, sometimes referred to as textual teaching of books of the Bible. That involves starting in verse 1 of the first chapter and going systematically through the book to the last verse of the last chapter. The reason we do it this way is because that's the order in which the Holy Spirit delivered this truth to its recipients. So we believe the best way we can do justice to this letter, for example, that the Holy Spirit delivered to the Corinthians through Paul is start at the beginning, keep everything in context, and go through it like we would read any letter from you or me. That doesn't mean we never teach topically. There are occasions when we do that, if we feel like we need to zero in on something or reinforce a biblical topic. But our most common approach is intentionally to study books of the Bible from start to finish. So principle number one from this passage, those who preach the gospel have a right to compensation. Now, here's the irony of what Paul just spent half a chapter on. Beginning in verse 15, he says, But I haven't used any of these rights, and I'm not writing this in the hope that you'll do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. So what is this boast he's talking about? Verse 16 tells us what Paul is not boasting about. He says, For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Verse 17, if I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What Paul is not boasting about is the fact that he preaches the gospel. In essence, he is saying, I must preach the gospel. I am compelled. I can't not preach the gospel. It's not an option. Then verse 17 explains the boast he made in verse 15. He says, If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. This word boast is sometimes translated exalt. Paul voluntarily or preaching voluntarily is what Paul exalts in. So let's put all this together. This is what I understand Paul to be saying. If I get paid to preach the gospel, I don't get a reward for that. I'm already getting paid. If I get paid, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. But if I preach the gospel and don't get paid, if I do it voluntarily, that's when I get a reward. This comparison of when a person is rewarded versus not rewarded reminds me of a message I sometimes heard when I was working in corporate America for several decades. When it came time for an employee's annual review, if you were a fly on the wall at the time of that performance review, you might hear something like this. The employee would say, boss, I did a really great job for you this year. I think I deserve a bonus. And the response from management might sound like this. Thank you so much for doing that great job. We really appreciate you discharging the trust we committed to you. We hired you anticipating you would do excellent work at your job. And we paid you your salary commensurate with you doing excellent work at your job. Therefore, since we paid you, you don't get a special reward performing at the level we hired you to do you only get a reward when you do more than we hired you to do when you go above and beyond our contract with you that's when you get a reward or special recognition in like manner i hear paul saying if i get paid to preach the gospel i'm not going to get a reward i'm already getting paid in the case of the corinthians he said I want to preach voluntarily without getting paid, in which case I will get a reward. And this reveals our second point for today, which is those who preach the gospel voluntarily receive a reward. Now, this brings up a question What exactly is the reward that Paul's talking about? And the next verse tells us about the reward. Let's look at verse 18. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Paul has a right to get paid when preaching the gospel. But in the case of the Corinthians, he didn't want to use that right. And just so you know, this is a pretty typical pattern with Paul. We see him him repeat this same position in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and in Ephesians chapter 20 when he was talking to the Ephesian elders. Paul's reward for preaching voluntarily was offering the gospel free and not using his rights. When I was preparing this sermon and I thought about how Giving the gospel away free and not using your rights would be a reward? This was tough for me to get my head wrapped around. But then I thought of something that happened to me last winter. I was driving home from work, and because of a construction detour, I was going through a pretty dark, unlit area. I passed a vehicle with the hatchback open, and I saw a woman leaning into the back of the vehicle. I turned my car around, went back to see if I could help. The woman had a flat tire, so I I started helping her change it. In the meantime, the husband and a couple other guys arrived. They jumped in and took over most of the work, but they were using some of my tools, so I was standing there until the job was done so I could get my tools back. After the tire was changed, the husband pulls out this big wad of cash and starts peeling off $20 bills. And he grabs the bills, extends his arm to me to take this money for helping his wife. I wasn't expecting this. So the instinctive response that came out of my mouth was, no way, Jesus is my Lord. If I had accepted payment for stopping this woman to help this lady, it would have cheapened the privilege I had to serve her. That's the only thing I could think. And I believe that's what Paul is saying when he mentioned getting a reward and not wanting to use his right to be paid. In the case of this woman with a flat tire, while I wish I had given a more eloquent response, like maybe somehow sharing the gospel, there's a reward for not claiming your own rights and for serving voluntarily. And Paul's reward with the Corinthians was the privilege of being able to give away the gospel without charge, yielding his right to compensation. Just like the Apostle Paul, you guys, you and I have the same opportunity to give away the gospel without charge. We can, and I know many of you do, give away the gospel. And when you do, your reward is eternal, that reward's hard to quantify. You can't measure it or place a value on it. But when we see someone believe in Jesus, their sin's forgiven, God adopts them into his family for eternity. Does the reward get any better than that? Well, in summarizing this section, Paul was being criticized by some of the Corinthians, likely instigated by false teachers. The lesson we saw from from chapter 9, first of all, those who preach the gospel have a right to be compensated. And I suspect that the Holy Spirit took a half a chapter to teach this principle so that the church could be financially healthy. Second principle, those who proclaim the gospel without charge receive a reward. So here's my challenge for us today. Number one Evaluate your perspective. Are you seeing life through the lens of the gospel? And practically speaking, this starts with a viewpoint that elevates and prioritizes advancing the gospel. Jesus is our model of one who completely disregarded his own rights, dying so humanity could be rescued. If our priorities do not reflect advancement of the gospel, let's consider asking God to reveal to us what adjustments are needed in our hearts so we have the heart of Jesus and Paul who was willing to do anything so the gospel will not be hindered. Friends, this message is for me as much as it is for you. I encourage all of us to do a perspective check. Number two, as a practical to-do item, I encourage all of us to reach out to one of our trusted Christian friends and ask them, hold us accountable for being proactive in taking steps to connect with someone you believe needs to hear the gospel. For me, God has put on my heart, I've got neighbors to connect with. And while COVID has been a significant barrier recently, It appears to be waning. Thank you, Lord. Let's partner with each other and ask for accountability to keep us gospel-minded. May we look for opportunities to give away the gospel. And as God leads, refrain from claiming our own rights. And perhaps, by God's mercy, those precious souls to whom we give away the gospel Will believe in Jesus and they'll be with us in heaven forever. Can you think of a better reward? We pray with me. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the anchor it provides in the midst of a world that is constantly changing. May we may we filter our our thoughts and the messages we hear through the truth of your scriptures, we thank you for this message from Paul to the Corinthians. Father, um, thank you for teaching us about the, the uh, message of giving to the church and Father also may we may our hearts be stirred so that we are not content unless the gospel advances. Would you do that in our hearts, Lord? We know that nothing of spiritual value will happen unless you do that miracle in us. We pray these things, Father, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.